That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harbin here with you. Donald Trump is playing some kind of a game here with medical supplies and the, the country has not yet figured it out. And I have a feeling that when the country does figure it out, because I have a pretty strong feeling now, again, this is just, you know, looking at what's going on. But a pretty strong feeling that what the Trump administration is doing right now is they're trying to seize and they literally are seizing. People are getting shipments like there's one state that had negotiated with a company in China for a chartered FedEx airplane full of personal protective equipment. And that state's governor, I'm not going to name the state here because they're trying to keep it on the QT. But that state's governor has mobilized the National Guard to meet that plane when it touches down in the United States to prevent federal officials from stealing the contents of that plane. Now, this is happening all around the country in blue states where supplies are arriving and then they're being stolen by the federal government. I mean, literally at gunpoint. You will give this to us. We are the federal government. While Captain Bly, Donald Trump, asserts his absolute authority over the states, he is literally taking supplies, personal protective equipment, respirators, ventilators, pharmaceuticals, literally taking these things out of the hands of states and putting them somewhere. Now, I personally believe that he's building a personal little stockpile for two groups. Number one, for the red state governors, we know Ron DeSantis got everything he asked for. The governor of Nebraska got more than he asked for. The governor of Indiana got more than he asked for. I mean, red states are getting all kinds of goodies. Blue states, not so much. Nebraska and Montana, for example, are getting $300,000. Now, this is not supplies, this is money, but, you know, federal assistance, $300,000 per COVID case. New York is getting $12,000 per COVID case. Who's getting $300,000? Oh, Nebraska and Montana. What party are their governors? Oh, Republicans, yes. And who's getting $12,000 a case? New York State. These are numbers confirmed by HHS. But they are literally hijacking these things. And I think, number one, he's stashing them to pass along to red states when the crisis gets bad in the red states, because they have to know it's coming. Just like back in November of last year, the spy agencies were telling Trump there's something nasty going on in Wuhan. Throughout December, the spy agencies and the Department of Health and Human Services was telling Donald Trump there's something going on in Wuhan. It was New Year's Eve, January 31st or December 31st, when the Chinese government officially announced what was going on. And then it became knowledge for the world. That was the end of last year. 
the last day of last year. Three weeks later, on January 20th, we had our first case here in the United States. Throughout all of January, Donald Trump was saying, don't worry, it's all good. Be happy. He was going golfing. He was lying through his teeth. This is what was going on throughout January, throughout February, and for the first two or three weeks of March. And during that critical time, hundreds of thousands of people were infected. Probably, actually, millions of Americans were infected. And those, you know, it's a three, four week period between the time that the infection occurs and the person shows up in a hospital or goes on a ventilator and that they die. So we're just now seeing over the last week or two the results in New York City of infections that happened three, four, five weeks ago when Trump was doing diddly squat. And the infections are slowly moving across the rest of the well, world. Not slowly. I mean, it depends on your time scale, I suppose. But the infections are moving across the United States. And they are going to be ultimately in Montana and Nebraska and South Dakota, where the governor is, you know, she's all really excited, right? Because she's starting, she's starting a clinical trial of hydrochloroquine to prevent COVID-19. Yes, the drug that causes heart attacks, the drug that Brazil stopped using because it causes heart attacks, the drug that the CIA's own website says, don't take this, it causes heart attacks. That drug, chloroquine, she's going to start giving to perfectly healthy people and see if they don't catch the, the coronavirus. And who told her this was a good idea? Well, she said several times during her news conference, it was Jared Kushner, that medical expert who goes to his, his brother's friend, who's a doctor, who goes to Facebook and asks questions on behalf of Jared, what's the best practices for COVID? Remember this? Jared Kushner actually getting information from a Facebook group that some guy who's remotely related to him or friends of his you know, plays in some guy who's a doctor. And that was the sheet that got passed out by the White House a week or so ago about here's our best practices, right? So anyhow, Trump is playing some kind of angle with this. And I think that this is why he's trying to assert his absolute authority so he can continue to give the red states whatever they want and screw the blue states. And, you know, sadly for Donald Trump, the blue states on the West Coast got their act together back when he was still dithering and playing golf and whining on Fox News. The blue states shut, you know, Oregon, Washington State, and California shut it down. And so none of these three states are seeing the explosion of cases right now. Now, we're frankly, we're expecting a larger number of cases. One of my kids works in the biggest hospital here in, in Portland, says that uh, they're anticipating sometime in May that we're going to hit some sort of a peak. But how bad that peak is going to be? Probably not anywhere near as bad as New York because we've had shelter in place now for a month. San Francisco's had it even longer, the Bay Area. So, you know, Trump can bluster all he wants, but, you know, we did the right thing. But anyhow, there's something skeezy going on here. And to top it all off, this is mind-boggling. We just discovered that Donald Trump, well, that the Republicans, you know, you're getting your $1,200 check. Well, $90 billion in tax breaks are built into this $2 trillion stimulus, and over 80% of it is going to 43,000 families in America who make more than a million dollars a year. It's going to cost us $90 billion this year, $170 billion over 10 years, 82%, this via the Associated Press, 82% of the benefits of the policy go to roughly 43,000 Americans who earn more than a million dollars a year. Fewer than 3% of the benefits go to Americans who earn less than $100,000 a year. So 3% of the benefit of the $2 trillion bailout is going to us. That's probably those $1,200 checks. 82% is going to the 43,000 millionaires in America. Aren't you happy? This is the Tom Hartman Program.
And then on top of that, Lindsey Graham is saying, hey, we've got to cut back on this, this rich unemployment benefit. We've got to cut nine bucks an hour out of this stuff. It's too much money. It continues. This is a report from Politico. The seizures are continuing. A medical supply company in Delaware is questioning the legality of federal seizures of N95 respirator masks destined for medical workers amid the coronavirus pandemic. The uh, owner of Delaware-based Indutex USA, uh, George Gianfocaro, this is a company that is basically a wholesaler for these masks. They are importing them into the United States and then selling them to hospitals. Uh, the FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, confiscated 400,000 masks in two imported shipments uh, that he had bought on behalf of U.S. customers. These shipments were stopped at JFK Airport. They came in by air freight on April 6th and April 19th. And he says the product is now just sitting there at the loading dock at JFK. FEMA came in and said, no, you may not have these. But they haven't decided what they want to do with them yet, which strengthens my belief that what the administration is doing with stealing all this equipment all over the country to the point where J.B. Pritzker, the governor of uh, Illinois, has to have secret flights come in and other other governors are, are using literally food service delivery trucks to to go pick up their masks so that the FBI and the FEMA people won't realize that they're moving masks and personal protective equipment around. And the fact that they seized this stuff on April 6th and April 19th, and they're still sitting on it. And for that matter, not only is FEMA still sitting on this stuff, but they're telling the airport folks that the storage fees have to be paid by the wholesaler. And I think this is because they're waiting for the pandemic to get really bad in the red states, and then they're just going to pass this stuff out to red state governors. I mean, you got Mitch McConnell coming out saying, we don't want to bail out any blue states to hell with their pension funds. It's just mind-boggling. And uh, Mr. Gianfocaro said, the product is just sitting there on the loading dock at JFK. They want to charge me $3,000 a day to store it. I said, I'll just come to pick it up then. And the FEMA said, no, you can't pick it up. We have seized this. He says, it's un-American. It's horrible. Meanwhile, do you know who's passing out the recovery funds? United Healthcare. United Healthcare is now playing a key role. This is from Politico. United Healthcare Group is now playing a key role overseeing a $30 billion recovery program being administered by United Healthcare. A senior economist, in fact, actually, here's, let me read you the entire two paragraphs and put it in context. President Donald Trump nominated a Minnesota-based health economist who served as a consultant to companies, including United Health, to an HHS post overseeing health insurers in 2017. A senior economist for the White House Council of Economic Advisors, whose nomination to a post overseeing health insurance floundered in the wake of revelations of his financial ties to United Group, is now playing a key role overseeing a $30 billion recovery program being administered by United Health. This surprised many, including employees at the Department of Health and Human Services, who assumed that the Health and Human Services staff would administer the program themselves. Wendell Potter, who's been a guest on this program many times, former vice president over at Aetna, as I recall, he said, I've never heard anything like this. The U.S. government pays hospitals all the time. Why would they need a third party, a for-profit insurer? Why does the U.S. government have to give the money to United Healthcare so that United Healthcare can give the money to hospitals? You know, we, we, we pay hospitals through Medicare. We pay hospitals through Medicaid. Stephen Parente, who is an economist at the Council of Economic Advisors, is one of the Trump administration officials overseeing the program, according to three people familiar with his work. This is from Politico again. One HHS official described Parenti as one of three key decision makers in determining how the CARES Act, this is the $2 trillion, is allocated to health care providers across the country. Five months after Trump nominated Parenti to this HHS post, uh, back in 2017, United Health donated $1.2 million multi-year grant to a small research center that Parente directed and helped found. Oh, isn't that special? The guy used to work with United Healthcare. Now he's in the federal government. He can pass out trillions, literally a trillion dollars in money, or maybe a couple hundred billion. And United Healthcare gives his foundation 1.2 million, and all of a sudden United Healthcare is overseeing 30 billion dollars in money. 
I got a note from a uh, from a listener who said uh, 65. He said, why haven't any members of the current Congress brought forth a bill that does like Obama did back in the 2009 Great Recession and pick up a good chunk of our COBRA costs? If you've got, excuse me, we're up to 20 percent unemployment now in the United States officially. I think it's re- I think we're looking at real numbers, real unemployment numbers that are probably closer to 40, at least 30 percent which is where we got with the last Republican Great Depression in 1930. And he's pointing out, you know, I got laid off. I no longer have access to health insurance through my company, through my employer. And so I'm going on COBRA, which is this temporary plan that, you know, for I think it's up to a year and a half. And you pay the insurance company yourself and and you get to keep having your insurance. He says his insurance is 839 bucks a month, but he's unemployed. And back in 2009, when the same kind of thing was happening, uh, President Obama pushed through legislation that picked up 65% of the cost of COBRA. Remember that? Why don't they do that? Seems like a good idea. Meanwhile, registered nurses are gathering in front of the White House every day to read the names of their dead colleagues. This from uh, Marissa J. Lang over at the Washington Post. The names came from all over the country, New York and Alabama, Puerto Rico and Nevada, Colorado, California and Michigan, Florida and Maryland, New Jersey and the district. A man in blue scrubs stood holding a metallic gold sign painted with the message. This is, he's pointing this at Trump. 20 seconds won't scrub hero blood off your hands. Let us remember and honor the ultimate sacrifice these nurses paid. We commit ourselves to fight like hell for the living. More than nine Thousand healthcare workers in the United States have tested positive for the coronavirus. Nine thousand. And meanwhile, while the guy who is in charge of developing our vaccines in the United States has been fired by Donald Trump for saying that he can't support using hydroxychloroquine to treat people with coronavirus, now we know from the first study that was done by the Veterans Administration that it actually kills more people than it helps. It doesn't help anybody, and it does kill people as a side effect, it causes heart attacks. So nobody's using it. So anyhow, this guy was in charge of the entire production of our vaccines, Dr. Bright. And Trump fired him because he dared to say, no, don't use hydroxychloroquine. At the same time that that's happening, this is the guy who's supposed to be developing our vaccine, right? We get this story from the Financial Times, and I quote, The headline, Germany approves COVID-19 vaccine trial. The German biotech company BioNTech will become the first European business to proceed with clinical trials of a COVID-19 vaccine after receiving regulatory approval. They've been working on this since January when Trump was still saying there's nothing to do. There's nothing to worry about. In February, Trump was saying it's a hoax. In March, Trump was saying, oh, it's all it's Democratic, you know, spin trying to hurt my my election reelection chances back in January. BioNTech in Germany started developing a vaccine, and they now have four variants on this prototype. They're trying it out on 200 healthy volunteers. They believe that they will be able to manufacture this vaccine in less than a year. They secured $135 million from Shanghai-based Fosun to commercialize the product in China, and they're trying to get U.S. approval. But can we develop a virus, you know, a vaccine? No, no, no. And the guy at HHS who's in charge of the entire COVID response, he's a labradoodle breeder. This is the Tom Hartman program. Can you spell heck of a job, Brownie? Remember Brownie, the, the horse judge who was put in charge of FEMA by George W. Bush? This is what Republicans do. So are you going to be able to make it on 1200 bucks? Are you enthusiastic about going back to work, even if it means dying or causing somebody else to die? By the way, back to the question of what are you doing at you know, home with this? There's a great piece by Gretchen Reynolds in today's New York Times, uh, Older and Stuck at Home, Expert Advice on Fitness, Soup Can Dumbbells. Louise and I found this uh, online over on YouTube using dumbbell, just to, you know, you can use soup, can, soup cans instead of going out and buying, you know, two pound dumbbells or one pound dumbbells. Access to a stairwell, go up and down the stairs until you're out of breath. Use your hallway to walk around because, you know, we rapidly lose strength when we don't move around. So even if you're just staying inside the house, 
Be active during a phone call. Get up and walk around the room. Walk down the hall. Go up and down the stairs while you're talking on the phone. If you're watching TV, every time there's a break, get up and walk as far as you can in your house. Um, do some deep knee bends. Do some stretches. Do some, you know, some exercises. For upper body strengthening, you can do arm curls you know, with, with your soup cans and, and uh, you know, put, lift them above your head. You can hold uh, a couple of soup cans right out in front of you and uh, you know raise them from your waist up to your up to your uh, eye level and down the wall squat is a great exercise where you just lean go flat up against a wall with your legs shoulder apart and just slowly slide down the wall as your knees go out and then back up again whenever you go into the kitchen do countertop push-ups right where you just put your hands on the countertop and then lean forward and push yourself up and down off the countertop Having an indoor herb garden, they suggest, is a great way. It just gets you up, bending over, kneeling down, looking at what you're doing, watering your plants. There's dance videos. There's all kinds of stuff on YouTube for exercise, yoga classes, all kinds of great stuff. So, you know, how are you sheltering in place? And the feds are still hijacking medical equipment. And Elizabeth Warren is now calling for a federal investigation into what the Trump administration is doing. We'll get to that, too. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
Tom Harbin here with you and Tammy in Houston, Texas. Hey, Tammy, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I just wanted to mention that everybody should wear masks. Mm -hmm. Lena Hidalgo, who's Harris County judge, and actually it's it's called Harris County judge, but she's more like the county manager, has basically decreed that everybody in Harris County, basically they put a new rule that everybody has to wear masks if they're out in public. And everybody over 10 years old. And let's see, there's some exceptions if you're exercising alone. Or if you are in your car, you don't have to wear a mask. If you have a medical condition that precludes you from wearing a mask. So, and it starts on Monday and there's a $1,000 fine. Wow. That's impressive coming out of Texas. Is this Harris County, Houston? Harris County is Houston, yes. Houston is a blue blue dot in the middle of a red state. You know, it's yeah, I get it. Houston, Austin, get it. San Antonio, and Dallas are all blue but yeah. the rest of the state yeah. is red. Well, so. thank you for that information, Tammy. And, that, you know, that's a, it's a good first step because, you know, we now know that people are contagious for several days before they start showing symptoms. In fact, that's when they're maximally contagious, apparently. And that if they are wearing a mask, it stops the majority of the viruses that they're exhaling just in the normal course of breathing or talking. So, you know, you're wearing the mask to protect other people as well as yourself. I mean, it it confers some protection to you, but mostly it protects other people. Good on them. Uh, Tammy, thanks for the heads up on that. I appreciate the call. Bruce in Petaluma, California. Excuse me, Bruce. What's up? Hi. I was thinking about, I see a lot of people outside getting fresh air, uh, walking around with their masks firmly in place, but they're not near anybody. And I consider that to be an unhealthy thing to do because you're breathing carbon dioxide. No, you're not. uh, You you would be if you were breathing breathing into a balloon or a paper bag, but if you're breathing through the mask, you're not inhaling your own carbon dioxide outside of maybe one mouthful's worth, which is nothing compared to the capacity of your lung. So, you know, it might be unhealthy in that your mask is getting damp from the moisture in your breath, and if you're not hygienic about your mask and you're not regularly cleaning it, it becomes a breeding place for bacteria, which is not a good thing. Although, you know, if you let it dry out, odds are it's not going to be a problem. But, Bruce, that's not a public health issue. That's, you know, Louise and I go out for walks. We typically don't wear our masks, but we carry them. And if we're going to pass somebody, we put them on. But otherwise, that's what I was saying. You know, everybody they wear them. No, they wear them. They don't carry them. They put them on. I get it. They're outside. I get it. It's it's not a danger to you. If you wear your mask all the time, you're not increasing the CO2 that. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. But Bruce, th- thanks a lot for the call. I, you know, I get your concern, and God bless you for being concerned about people. And I, you know, I think that's marvelous. But you know, if, if you if, if you if you wanted to avoid expelling carbon dioxide, you'd have to breathe into a paper bag um, or a balloon and breathe back, you know, back and forth. It, it's the only way to do it, which nobody would want to do right? unless you're trying to get rid of the hiccups. Daniel in Manchester, New Hampshire. Hey, Daniel, what's on your mind today? Well, I was calling about the Trump administration seizing uh, PPE. Right. I'm a delivery driver. I deliver food to restaurants, and currently where we are, I deliver to stores, markets, sometimes big, sometimes small. I think we could all agree that if I'm delivering food, I should probably have a mask and sometimes gloves, correct? Yeah. Well, my boss ordered a shipment of, I don't think they're N95s, I'm not sure exactly what those are, but they're, they're the surgical type, you know, hospital mm-hmm. masks. And he said FEMA sees them. So I don't know if they were flown into New Hampshire or if they were flown into Boston. I, I you know, I couldn't tell you. I would assume that he's only, you know, stealing them from the blue states, not knowing yeah. that we're about half and half. In New but, Hampshire. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In New Hampshire. Because your company's based um, out of Boston, is that the deal? No, sir. My, my company's based out of New Hampshire, but I, I would assume we're, we're getting oh, major that the, freight. Oh, that the masks of, are coming via a distributor in, in Massachusetts or something like that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
Yes, sir. Where they're actually coming from, I don't know, but I know he said that they were seized by FEMA. I was actually trying to ask him today, because I I don't know if if you've heard, are any of these companies getting compensated when the government steals their stuff, or is it just stolen? To the best of my knowledge, no. They can file a lawsuit if they want. It might take years. I mean, this is the Trump strategy. He's got thousands of people who have sued him, tens of thousands of people over the years who have sued him for not paying his bills and for breaking contracts and skipping out and stuff like that. That's what he does. Daniel, thank you. Thanks for sharing the story with us. Uh, It's mind-boggling. That's just mind-boggling. Gloria in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Hey, Gloria, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I just, one thing I want to say concerning the mask by the previous caller, my daughter-in-law is a nurse down in the Pittsburgh area in Pennsylvania. She texted me a couple of weeks ago and asked me if I would make her a mask. So there, uh, there's no doubt in my uh, mind there's a shortage of You and the last caller, amazing. A couple of five-star callers here. Well, anyhow, Gloria, continue. I wanted to talk about Steve Bannon because I remember that horrifying panel discussion that he was on talking about disassembling the United States government. He's now on two of I Have Dish Network. And he's on two of the channels now, uh, the pandemic uh, war room or something and another. uh, He's on a couple of different shows on a couple of different channels. And I was just wondering if you know what you know about him. I've heard crazy stuff about a bathtub being ruined and a house he rented and stuff. And I was just wondering if you could just do a little report. Uh, to your viewers about Steve Bannon because he sounds so reasonable on air. Right. Gloria, let me do a little digging. There's some really good experts out there, and maybe we can book one for the show. That's a good suggestion. Gloria, thank you very much. And welcome back to our Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading From Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green, the subtitle Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and the Storming of the Presidency. This is from the afterword, the very last chapter. It's titled Kali Yuga, which in Hinduism is when the earth goes into a phase of destruction. In the shell-shocked aftermath of the election, President Obama, looking shaken, appeared in the White House Rose Garden to deliver public remarks intended to project a sense of calm, a sense, really, that the basic stability of our country remained intact. Sun is up, Obama said. I know everybody had a long night. I did as well. Had a chance to talk to President-elect Trump last night, about 3.30 in the morning, I think it was, to congratulate him on winning the election. End of quote. The next day, when the two men appeared together in the Oval Office, it felt as if the world had slipped through the looking glass. Trump quickly named Bannon his chief White House strategist. Republicans controlled every branch of government. With Trump's ability to defy every political norm, anything seemed possible. Who could argue otherwise after what had just transpired? And yet, within days of his inauguration, Trump's White House was plunged into chaos and scandal, from which it has not recovered and may never. Bannon, the imaginative reconceiver of U.S. politics, hung streams of paper listing Trump's promises from the walls of his West Wing office. His strategy, as always, was to launch furious attacks, this time to, quote, shock the system, end quote, and rapidly reorient the federal government in a more nationalist direction. He called this, with what I took to be intentional irony, a shock-and-awe approach to asserting Trump's power. But Trump's flurry of activity quickly ran into problems. There was his executive order, sprung a week after his inauguration, banning immigrants from seven majority Muslim countries, which set off nationwide protests and was blocked by the courts. His firing two weeks later of National Security Director Michael Flynn for contacts with the Russians. The collapse of his first major legislative initiative, a bill to repeal Obamacare is firing of FBI Director James Comey in the swift descent of the West Wing into a viper's nest of backstabbing and leaks. This quick turn toward a crack-up was hardly unforeseeable or even altogether surprising, but it contrasted sharply with the success of a candidate who had dominated his opponents, shaped news coverage, and shown himself to be all but impervious to the forces that overwhelm other politicians. Bannon, whose wild gambits in the campaign had invariably paid off, seemed to run out of magic tricks when Hillary Clinton was no longer a target. The government wasn't as malleable to Trump and Bannon's aggressions as the Republican Party and the cable news channels had been, and they found themselves consistently thwarted and undermined by the courts, by right-wing hardliners in Congress, by their own inexperience and Trump's errant tweets, and by the bureaucracy they were now overseeing. The crises these failures precipitated in the White House cost Bannon much of his influence 
and soon threatened Trump's presidency. While it's still early in his term, the possibilities Trump's most ardent supporters once imagined for his presidency already seem to be mostly foreclosed. I think there are three main reasons why Trump's administration has so quickly fallen into disorder and confusion. Number one, Trump thought being president was about asserting dominance. Just after he'd locked up the GOP nominations, Trump said something to me that crystallized his view of politics and explains, to my mind, much of his subsequent difficulties. Quote, I deal with people that are very extraordinarily talented people, he told me. I deal with Steve Wynn. I deal with Carl Icahn. I deal with killers that blow these politicians away. It's not even the same category. This, he meant politics. This is a category that's like 19 levels lower. You understand what I'm saying? Brilliant killers. Trump was equating politics with business and the presidency with the job of being a big shot CEO, a killer. He filled the upper ranks of his administration with people of a similar mindset. Gary Cohn, Wilbur Ross, Steve Bannon, aggressive, domineering men accustomed to getting their way by dint of their position. None had government experience, nor did many others in the West Wing. So none anticipated the problems this approach to governing would cause. Trump's self-conception as the all-powerful apprentice boss blinded him to a fundamental truth of the modern presidency, that the president needs Congress more than the Congress needs the president. Trump's domineering instincts serve him poorly, since most members of Congress are secure in their jobs and accountable mainly to their own constituents. And it backfired disastrously when Trump fired Comey after he refused to submit to a pledge of loyalty to his boss. Number two, Trump ran against the Republican Party, Wall Street, and Paul Ryan, but then took up their agenda. Populists often struggle to govern, but Trump scarcely attempted to lead the populist revolution that he promised. In May, he told me he would transform the Republican Party into a workers' party. But while he kept voicing populist sibyleths, the legislative agenda he took up was the standard conservative fare pushed by Paul Ryan. During the GOP primary, Trump has shrewdly sensed its weak point, Ryan's desire to finance tax cuts for the rich by cutting programs like Social Security and Medicaid armed the party's white, blue-collar base. Trump told me he'd made this point to Ryan directly. He said, quote, there's no way a Republican is going to beat a Democrat when the Republican is saying, we're going to cut your Social Security, and the Democrat is saying, we're going to keep it and give you more. The book is Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green. Amazing. This is, I, we had a caller from Houston uh, just a little bit ago who said that the, uh, I forget the title, the Harris County judge or something like that, who basically the county manager said that everybody in the county has to wear masks when they're out in public. And uh, Evan Walter just tweeted me, the uh, Houston Police Officers Union, Texas's largest police union, you know, we want to be very clear, the Houston Police Officers Union believes everyone should be wearing a mask in public. However, we draw the line that draconian measures Hidalgo has decided to engage in. Oh, God. It's to protect you guys, the police, right? My mind is blown. Hartmut in Kennesaw, Georgia. Hey, Hartmut, what's on, on your mind today? Hello. There's one uh, really important element that is seemingly constantly uh, dropping out of the discussion about how to bring about a, a stable state in, the, uh, in fighting coronavirus, and that is masks. Masks are the principal tools that were used by at least, well, by the two, I think, most efficient and most successful uh, countries in fighting the coronavirus, namely Korea, South Korea, and Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia right now has a reproduction, I think the, t the term is reproduction rate, uh, less than one. It's 0.8. That means that every person that's infected doesn't even manage to infect one person completely. It's, the R0 there is 0 0.8. That means that they have reached, they are dropping to zero uh, as far as... Uh, the, uh, well, as far uh, as you know, I mean, I, I don't, frankly, I don't know much about the Czechoslovakian situation. It may well be that they just are not testing enough people to know. But no, they, uh, certainly in Asia... That. They started immediately. As soon as they learned oh, they did? that the prob a possible pandemic brewing, 
they started, they put out a call, the president of Czechoslovakia put out a call that everyone should immediately start making masks. So everywhere in, in Czechoslovakia, people were pulling out their sewing machines and making masks. And hmm. within a few days, everyone was wearing a mask. That's solidarity. And, and, and that's the importance of masks. Now, let me say one other thing about masks, and that is that what's, what you hear most often here, and I just recently heard it in a Zoom group that I have every Sunday, where someone was very bright, an activist, argued that, well, everywhere, I'm reading everywhere, Al Jazeera and several other places, that uh, masks, well, they're fine as far as spreading the infection goes, but they're no good at uh, protecting you from the virus. But that's an absurdity. That doesn't make any sense. Because if, and they have discovered, as a matter of fact, they've looked at uh, cloth masks and found that, indeed, People who were wearing them and that were infected were actually blocking uh, coronavirus because the coronavirus would be found inside their mask. But it doesn't make any sense to claim that, well, if you are blowing out a coronavirus, it'll block those coronaviruses, but it will not block the coronaviruses that come at you from a distance that are moving much more slowly with much less force. Well, this is this is where this is the distinguishing characteristic between a cloth mask and an N95 mask. An N95 mask is blocking 95% of all particles, and I think they, they go down to like a half micron in size, whereas a cloth mask will allow through larger par- particles, which could include you know, micro water droplets uh, and, and including viruses. Viruses are insanely small. So yeah, you, you can inhale virus through a cloth mask. It, it's it's sure. it's a little harder. There is a, a physical ob, a physical barrier there. Um, yeah. You know, and I think this was the the core of Japan's effort initially was they you know everybody in the country was wearing masks, but they weren't doing um, they didn't lock down essentially, and and it you know it worked for a little while, but then it kind of fell apart, and uh, Japan became the Asian outlier, and now they're having to play catch up, but. But, you know, your points are well made, Hartmut. Thank you. James in Spokane. Hey, James, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, a point and then another thing I want to say to make you smile, hopefully. But the point is this. We can't get enough anecdotes, enough incidents of where this orange guy is lying. We really need to know. I haven't heard you talk about it. Maybe someone knows how long he's been testing at the White House. Well, they got the they got the 15 minute test there. You you go into the White House now, you get tested, and and within 15 minutes they have the results. They've got those instant and tests. The, now. the point is, Tom, um, how long has he been doing that? While well, he's been denying it's a problem, how long has he been protecting yeah. his own butt? Par- the first I heard about this was about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago. It was right after he had one of those instant testing machines uh, on display. Uh, out in the Rose Garden. And as I recall, it was around two weeks ago. It's, I, I'm lousy with time. But I think if he had been testing before that, they would have been testing the press corps before they came in. And the press corps was who reported on this, that now they have to get the, you know, the swab up the nose thing. But, you know, it, it, I think your point, James, is that Trump is trying to protect himself. He doesn't care about protecting the rest of us, right? Yeah, so, oh, absolutely. And his lies, when he was lying, saying that it was safe, don't worry about it. He was probably testing mm-hmm. during much of that period. Yeah, yeah, it, it may well be. And they may, they, they're probably, they've probably been testing White House staff and Secret Service and, you know, all the people who are hanging around and, and participating in this, that, and the other thing. Nancy in Woodland, California. Hey, Nancy, what's up? Thanks for listening to 910 AM. What's on your mind? Yeah, I'm just wondering why you think that Trump gets away with advocating for overthrowing state government, you know, when he calls for liberating them, especially when he mentions mm-hmm. the Second Amendment along with it. Yeah, he gets away with a lot. I mean, you know, this is the bottom line is, is that, you know, the media lets him get away with this stuff. The Democrats let him get away with this stuff. Uh, can you imagine if President Obama had said anything like that? I mean, it would just be they would be melting down. They would just absolutely be melting down. Nancy, thank you for the call. This is an amazing story. This is from Kaiser Health News. When her doorbell rang Sunday night, Blanche Jordan was just starting a new Game of Thrones puzzle on her living room floor. Jordan, 39, is a breast cancer survivor who is taking social distancing seriously, so she put on a mask before opening the door. A woman handed Jordan a piece of paper and said, You've been served. The paper was a court summons that said that Frodert, F-R-O-E-D-T-E-R-T, Frodert Memorial Lutheran Hospital, Incorporated, 
in Wisconsin was suing Jordan for $7,150. Just three weeks before, Jordan had paid off a different $5,000 plus Froder debt linked to a hysterectomy that her insurance did not cover. She said, this lady came to my door. She didn't have a mask on. She didn't have gloves. And she looked at me like I'm crazy because I had a mask across my face. She lives in Milwaukee. She's high risk. Jordan is one of at least 46 people sued by Froder in small claims court since March 12th. Kaiser News Service outing this uh, hospital, Froder Memorial Lutheran Hospital. Lutheran? You claim to be religious? You claim to be Christian? Seriously? Froder? Is that what you're trying to tell us? And you're suing people during a pandemic when people are out of work? Honest to God, this is how sick and twisted and greedy and grubby and petty and pathetic our healthcare system is in America that our hospitals are suing people because they got sick. This is how sick and twisted it is in states where Republicans or in a nation, frankly, I mean, this is Wisconsin. Republicans control the state legislature. You've got Republicans controlling the national government through the Senate. So we don't have single payer health care. So we don't even have a public option. And, and poor Blanche Jordan is getting sued over and over and over again because she had the audacity to make the choice to get breast cancer. Or cancer, excuse me, maybe she had a hysterectomy. I mean, this is how Republicans look at it. She made that choice, right? She chose to inhale those fumes from that Coke Industries to refinery. the Tom Hartman program. Tom Hartman with you live from Portland. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Health Justice Now, Single Payer and What Comes Next by Timothy Faust. And this is from the introduction. A secret scream rings through America. It rings down the sterile fluorescent hallways of our hospitals. It rings over our rural towns and our native reservations. It rings through our prisons, the bellies of our great cities. It rings in our farms, in our fields, our streets, and our sewers, our bodies, and our blood. And we are cursed to never hear it clearly until at last we realize it has been our own mouth screaming and we are lost. A child born today inherits in that secret a new American squalor, the skeletal remains of the American cities, the bleached bones of the American suburbs. This secret is a birthright of continual exploitation, pumped for labor and drained of cash and then punished for the resulting suffering, punished for being hungry, punished for being sick, punished for being pregnant, punished for being poor, punished for being black or brown, punished for being queer, for being unlucky, for being. At the base of that suffering is lodged a little truth, like a knot in the stomach. In America, sickness makes you poor, and poorness makes you sick. This is a book about that relationship and why it happens, and why it's unnecessary, and what we can do to fix it. The cosmic whirling of God's great slot machine has not determined that some people are fated to suffer while others flourish. We have the resources to take care of everyone, and yet we refuse to do so. Your medical debt and medical bills are unnecessary, but we have chosen to make them necessary. These are structural problems with structural causes, and many of them share roots in how we pay for health care. This is a book about health care and health finance. They are different. Health care is anything that helps you stay safe and healthy. It's a kind of freedom from and within your own body. Health finance is the method by which we as a country pay for that freedom and by which we decide who gets to have it and who doesn't. Health care is more than what happens to you in the hospital. Health care is whether your home makes you sick or your food makes you sick or your environment makes you sick or whether you have enough money to afford the things that keep you healthy. In America, the structure of corporate health care has convinced us that some people deserve health care and some people don't. This is a book about that corporate health finance, about private insurance and private insurers. For half a century, they've convinced us that they're the only things that keep us or could ever keep us from the utter financial ruination of illness. They've sold us different inadequate insurance plans and persuaded us that this is a form of great liberty while chipping away at our freedoms for profit and holding our bodies and our children's bodies hostage. This is a book about single-payer health care, a health finance model in which we pool our abundant collective resources to provide health care to all people. It is a common model across the world. As we will discuss in this book, we have the potential not just to enact a single-payer program in America, but to build the greatest health care program among any so-called developed democracy. Here is my profession of faith. I believe beyond any doubt the single payer is demonstrably sound and imminently feasible. I believe a properly ambitious and well-structured single payer program will do more than any other American social program of this generation to soothe the burns, to resuscitate the spirit, to nourish the moral will of the American people. I believe it will loosen the loathsome manacles of American health finance, an exploitative institution that profits by plundering from us our own bodily autonomy, and that anchors the larger exploitation that holds those whom we love as captive leverage to guarantee our servitude to abusive employers or domestic partners, to those who seek to dominate us both in the office and in the hospital. I believe this nation owes its people, whose labor has created its rich banquet, the safety and agency of health care. I believe this health care is greater in scope than that which happens upon an operating table. I believe that housing, food, income, and more, the components of basic human dignity, are health care. 
And I believe our work is that of striving toward justice for all people. And I therefore believe, I have to believe, that single-payer health care is our moral imperative. Single-payer is our tool. Single-payer is our weapon. Single-payer is our first step. But single-payer on its own is not the goal. This book is about health justice. Healthcare is personal. So I want to start this book personally by introducing two friends of mine, Steve Way and Kyle Kolick. They're two guys about my age, I'm 30, who live in North New Jersey. They're sweet, gentle people and probably the most charismatic pair of friends I've met in my entire life. They make me laugh until my face hurts and we like watching pro wrestling together. They're also being utterly broken by our American healthcare system and it's keeping them from living their lives. Steve has muscular dystrophy. The muscle and tissues that hold his body together are eating themselves. He's doing pretty good, all things considered. He beat his original life expectancy of 18 and now probably has a long life ahead of him. Steve needs a wheelchair to move and a ventilator to help him breathe. The book Health Justice Now, Timothy Faust. Well, this is amazing. Over at the Center for Public Integrity on their website, they've got some internal government documents that they acquired. Not sure if this was through a FOIA filing or a whistleblower, but uh, this is what they write on their website. Liz Esley White actually is writing it on the Center for Public Integrity's website. Quote, federal health officials estimated in early April that more than 300,000 Americans could die from COVID-19 if all social distancing measures are abandoned. Later estimates push the death toll, possible death toll, even higher. In the documents, the, quote, best guess, end quote, for how things will play out without further mitigation says the coronavirus cases and deaths would double about every five and a half days. Wow. Meanwhile, the very people who were telling us that they were ready for the Holocaust, they were ready for the long war, they're dug in. They've got their guns, they've got their food, they got their meals ready to eat, that those people are freaking out because they can't go to the Cheesecake Factory. They can't go get bronzed at the tanning salon. They, they, can't, they can't get a new butterfly tattooed on their shoulder. These poor, poor snowflakes who just, you know, they've got a million bullets in their basement, but they really, really need to go to the bowling alley. Really? Meanwhile, get ready. This is starting to explode in the red states. We're seeing it, first of all, in business places where a lot of people are working very, very close together and breathing hard, essentially, because it's hard work. That's the meatpacking plants. And they're contaminating each other like there's no tomorrow. And this is spreading all over the country in these meat plants. It's going to go from there. Now you've got uh, several red states who are opening their malls. And down in Georgia, Brian Kemp, the guy who stole the election from Stacey Abrams by refusing to put 50,000 African-Americans on the voting rolls and knocking a half million off in the two years before the election. That guy, that guy, you know, he's the guy who said that he didn't even realize that you could do, you know, spread of this disease without, uh, you know, without having symptoms, asymptomatic spread. Right. That guy is reopening his state. This is nuts. So what does this mean? As the red states either stay open or reopen, what's going to happen? How's it going to play out? Well, you'll recall from my makers versus takers rant of last week and the op-ed that I published all over the place uh, earlier this week or over the weekend, the blue states actually have pretty good health infrastructure and pretty good everything infrastructure. They're blue states. The red states, on the other hand, not so much. But people in the red states are more likely to watch Fox News regularly. They're more likely not to take this stuff seriously. And therefore, they're more likely to end up sick or dead. And not just concerned for them being sick, but the, but the people who work in the hospitals who have to care for them. It's crazy. In 17 of the 20 states with the highest rates of smoking, for example, which radically increases your chances of dying from COVID-19, 17 of those 20 states are red states. 12 of the states with the highest self-reported rates of diabetes, 12 of the 15 states are red states. The highest obesity rates in the United States, 13 of the top 15 states for obesity, red states. Of the, this is from Joshua Holland, by the way, over on Alternate. Of the 15 states with the largest share of their population reporting being in fair or poor health, 
One is blue, two are swing states, and all the rest of these 15 states are solidly red. Among the 15 states with the highest rates of death from heart disease, four are swing states, but there's not a single blue state in the bunch. All the rest of them are red. Of the 20 states with the highest rates of uninsured, 16 of them are solid Republican. Eight of the 10 states with the highest rates of death from pneumonia and influenza in 2018, the most recent year that we have statistics, were heavily Republican. So as this goes into the red states, there's going to be uh, just a, you know, a disaster. It's going to be hell on wheels for these folks. Meanwhile, you've got Greg Abbott down in Texas. These are all Republican governors. Greg Abbott in Texas, Brian Kemp in Georgia, uh, Henry McMaster in South Carolina, Bill Lee in, uh, in Tennessee, Pete Ricketts in Nebraska, all of them saying, ah, oh, yeah, let's open the state back up. We got these guys with the guns and the, and the meals ready to eat. They're freaking out. They really need to go to the cheese factory, cheesecake factory. We've got to get them out into the malls. Meanwhile, we learned, this is from Forbes magazine. Some of the public companies that got the paycheck, but these are companies that are big enough to have their stock traded on public exchanges. Many of them were companies that aren't even based in the United States. Biotechnology company Wave Life Sciences has a market valuation of $286 million, got a $7.2 million loan from us. It's a Singapore company. CRH Medical, uh, market capitalization of $148 million, got $2.9 million from us. It's a Canadian company. DMC Global, a Colorado producer of perforating systems for the oil industry, was the second most valuable publicly traded company to get an emergency coronavirus loan from the SBA. This is from Forbes magazine. It received a $6.7 million loan. This is a company with a $405 million market capitalization. Meanwhile, Scott Gottlieb, the guy who is the former Republican FDA commissioner, says, quote, Gyms, nail salons, bowling alleys, hair salons, tattoo parlors. It feels like they collected, you know, a list of the businesses that were the most risky and decided to open those first. Well, yeah, of course, it's Brian Kemp. To say that Brian Kemp is not a rocket scientist is to radically understate the case. Brian Kemp probably couldn't pass a high school graduation exam. Uh, it's, uh, this is just mind-boggling. And meanwhile, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is now lobbying to eliminate all liability for companies that force, the, like the meatpacking plants, that force their employees to work in closed quarters in the event somebody gets sick and dies. Let's just give them statutory immunity. Let's write a law that says none of their employees can ever sue their employers if they get sick, and especially if they die. Their families can't sue. Isn't that sweet? The U.S. Chamber of Commerce looking out for us. Katie in Hudson, Mass. Hey, Katie, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Ridiculous briefing when he said the thing about the, you know, UV lights and, and ingesting disinfectants to try to cure them. I don't understand why there was not one person that just reflexively yelled no. And then when he turned and looked at the things and said, oh, maybe we can do a study on that, that just was yeah, mind-blowing that they didn't say, no, we don't need to do a study, sir. We know that if you ingest those things, you will, they will kill you. And you had asked, you know, why do you think Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci put up with it and stay with this? And I think in some ways they may feel like this is their only opportunity to inform the American people. So they may just be sort of gritting their teeth so that they can get up there and give their information that they think is so important. My question is, is it possible to do a congressional briefing instead every day? Just, you know, not even with, like, the head people of, of us, but, like, people from a Republican and a Democrat from the committees that actually run HHS and, you know, and are in charge of the CDC and all that. You know, it, it blows my mind that he, has, he seems to have so much power. President Trump seems to have so much power over these committees that really have to answer to Congress. I mean, don't we, aren't we the ones that set up these organizations and are fund these organizations? And I don't understand why they're answering to him versus answering to, to the actual Congress. Yeah. 
there's a lot there to unpack. The main point that I would make is that you have to understand the media. You were saying, you know, why can't this happen? We are getting daily briefings on CNN and MSNBC from Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, and he is pushing back on crazy and doing a pretty good job. He's acquired a certain amount of star power. But the thing that, that about the media is, We get is daily briefings here in mass from our governor, too, and he's excellent. <laughs> right. And every state is getting that. California is getting them from Gavin Newsom. We're not getting them daily from Cape Brown here. Or- well, maybe we are. I don't watch local television. So, you know, maybe. But I don't think right. so. I think she's coming out periodically. But in any case, the two things that the national media need in order to promote somebody, to put somebody on TV regularly, is number one, they need to know that that person has star power, has what's called Q factor in television, that people love watching them on TV. They captivate people's attention because it's all about making money and ratings, right? And selling advertising. That's that. You, so, so you have to have somebody who has a following or who can create a following, who knows how to do media. And Chuck Schumer gets up there and drones on for hours, reading his speeches. And, I mean, Nancy Pelosi does a pretty good job, but you know she's only there occasionally, and, and I think it would be probably a misuse of her ability. But I, I'm but not even talking about just, the actual elected officials doing it. I just want them to set up a briefing under the under the guise of this is the congressional coronavirus daily briefing, right. and bring in the actual real experts to speak. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice, Katie. I, I don't I, know, you know why it can't happen. It's not going to go with it. They're not. They're probably not. Number one. If it doesn't happen in New York City, by and large, it doesn't happen, and uh, because that's the media center of the, of the country, and now, although that's slowly changing. But number two, you've got to have somebody who's going to grab those eyeballs. Katie, thank you for the call. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 